So Ryan, good to see you, man. Good to see you too. Here we are. Still, still yeah. in the middle of this nuts, crazy <laughs> world for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Last month we were talking about the, uh, the boiling frog metaphor. And I think yeah. the temperature is up to like, what, 99 degrees Celsius, which is, you know, we're, just below the boiling point. We're cooking. We're starting we're, to lean back into the pot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some of us are some of us feel like we're at the spa and others are just like trying to jump as high as we possibly can to get out of here. Yep. Yep. Well, it's kind of the reason why we wanted to do this particular um, episode today. So today we're going to be talking about shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the title of the show is going to be Inhabit Your Shadow, which is, I think, an interesting title, Ryan, because, you know, here in Integral Land, we often talk about shadow practices. Um, and, you know, just to kind of catch people up um, who might not be familiar with the concept of shadow, the basic idea of shadow is that we all have sort of psychological residue that can accumulate over our lives that can come from really any sort of uh you know, it can come from traumatic experiences. It can come from just sort of your personality and how it's organized and, you know, sort of sensitivities and blind spots and all that stuff. But the idea is that all of us tend to react to the world in various ways. And mm-hmm. how we react to the world often has a lot to do with how our inner world is sort of put together and how we manage our own interior realities. And oftentimes there are aspects of our consciousness that are unconscious to us mm-hmm. and can therefore have a really debilitating influence on how we think about the world, how we engage with each other, how we you know, conduct ourselves in online spaces uh, and things like that. And, and really, you know, the biggest problem with shadow material is all the really, really insidious ways that it can actually sabotage our own kind of ongoing process of growing up or waking up Mm -hmm. um, and showing up. So the shadow Mm -hmm. piece is called cleaning up. And it's something we've talked about several times in the show. And in fact, Ken and I just recently did another one of our three hour Ken show dialogues um, on integrating shadow, which is now on integralife.com. I definitely encourage people to, to check it out. But the reason why I think inhabit your shadow is such a great title is because, you know, when we talk about shadow work, um, we often talk about the three, two, one process, mm-hmm. which is a process of actually identifying and reclaiming, reowning our shadow projections. And that process is basically a really, really simple three-step sort of gestalt process of, um, you know, you, uh, you, you face your shadow. So first you try to sort of discern where your shadow is and you face it and then you talk to it you actually have a dialogue with this aspect of yourself that is Mm. causing pain or trouble in some kind of way. And then you own it. You inhabit your shadow. You actually, you take that shift from second person dialogue with your shadow to an actual first person embodiment of the shadow. You speak as the shadow. And it's that third step, I think, where really, um, you know, some, some powerful and often, you know, even kind of magical kind of uh, things can happen where we can suddenly break open into, um, you know, a level of insight we didn't necessarily have access to. And then after that, we find ourselves just a lot less reactive to, you know, these various stimuli in our lives that can trigger us or get under our skin or 
distract us or cloud mm. our thinking, cloud our judgment. Um, so yeah. this is this is an important topic, and I'm I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Yeah, today on the show. Thanks for always like always doing such a great framing of our topic. You're a pro at that, Corey. And um, you know, add to add a little bit to that. You know, I had as I mentioned to you, I thought, oh, didn't we do a show on shadow? But you said no, we didn't have it. Your wounds. I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's a different episode. And but the question is like, okay, well, what's what's makes this a little different than that episode? And um, at first, I thought, well, with shadow, there's there's two types of shadow. One is like the trauma shadow, the wounding from the past that that produces these shadows. And then I thought, well, there's also developmental shadows, developmental shadows, where, yeah, there's things that we don't see that is very much connected to how we see the world. These two are interlinked and that causes troubles. And then over time we see those shadows and have opened up uh, our ability to understand the world, make meaning, and then new shadows emerge. But then you mentioned, well, clean, uh, cleaning up, growing up, waking up, you know, showing up. And really, all of those have shadows that can emerge. Like in the spiritual waking up, there can be these spiritual shadows that emerge that are very spiritual. We use that word. We can use contemplative, whatever you'd like. But there are there are shadows that can that can emerge. You know, uh, like spiritual bypassing. You know, mm-hmm. is a shadow that's really. It can be. It can be connected very much to emotional wounds and shadows, but it's, it's a different flavor. So, I'd say you can have shadows in all of these. Um, arenas that have a different flavor all these all the what are they called i call them, i just wrote down the four ups but I didn't yeah know. that's how often i come the four ups oh okay cool great yeah. perfect um and then, you know so it's like for example you you gave one practice of the three two one for um these like lost parts of ourselves, these uh these type of wounding and, and trauma shadows and that kind that has that very particular flavor to it. It, it. It's already present in us. And so like through embodied shadow work, you know, that I tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. We can get a sense of the body, get a sense of how we're constricting ourselves and re you know, remember uh, what we went through and how we responded to that, how we adapted and start to unravel that. So that we have more, um, more full access to our being our different mm-hmm. capacities, whether of knowing or expressing ourselves, et cetera. The developmental shadow process is a bit different, which Robert Keegan is like one of the people that I know the most. And then also uh, Susan Cook Grunter has a process, I think, around. Greuter, yep. Yeah, Greuter. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I never know how to say that, pronounce that name. Um, but here that's like, it's a little different because it's not like from our past that those shadows emerged like from a long time ago. So with that, usually for me, the idea is working with assumptions about the world. Like here's what I take to be just how the world is, how reality is. And I think that's what uh, Keegan did in that, uh, in his book, um, Immunity to Change. Mm. If I remember the process correctly a little bit, I did some of it, but it's been a long time. It's like, I just write down these assumptions, like this is how shit is. So it's not really like necessarily a, a emotional shadow, but it's like, this is how it is. And then to test that, like, you know, find some way to test that. Like, is that actually true? How does the evidence line up? It's a very weird process that still, I think there's a lot of innovation that can be had in that, but it's, it's like, how do I reveal assumptions about life, you know? So anyways, I just wanted to add that to the, the framing of this, of like, when we're looking, what sh- kind of shadow we're looking at and what are the techniques to work with it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I love those points. And it actually reminded me, Ryan, of our, of our previous discussion, uh, inhabit your ground, 
when we are talking about just, you know, how do you stay sort of centered and focused and grounded when that ground is actually being actively pulled from underneath your feet, right? So how do you sort of get a sense of where your world is? And, you know, I've over the last month, I've, um, I've been thinking about this really in terms of, you know, I've got sort of two metaphors that I've been pushing this through and, uh, that's sort of your lens Mm -hmm. and your terrain. And the mm. lens is sort of, um, you know, the question there is how do we keep our lens as clean as we possibly can, as free from shadow, as unclouded, um, and as transparent to ourselves as, as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that requires work. I mean, that requires an ongoing shadow practice where basically anytime something comes up for you, you have the capacity to look at it in third, second, and first person mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, again, just get a sense of how much residue is here for me, how, mm-hmm. you know, how, how, um, how radioactive is this, you know, yeah. um, and then do something with that. But then, so that's sort of the lens piece, but then there's the terrain. And I think that this is oftentimes where shadow tends to go unchecked. And it has a Mm -hmm. lot to do with that, as you say, sort of the assumptions Mm -hmm. that we bring into this sense of what is my informational terrain? What are sort of, um, you know, the the, the features and the landmarks of this ecosystem of meaning that I've created for myself? And it's an ecosystem that is itself based on all sorts of assumptions. Yeah, you know, and 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 those assumptions can be completely laden with shadow from the very beginning. I mean, for example, mm. if you're, if you have an unchecked shadow within yourself that feels powerlessness or a lack of agency, or a lack of control over your own life or your own fate, and it just feels like life is happening to you mm-hmm. uh, rather than vice versa, then there's mm-hmm. a chance that you're going to be attracted to some of these sort of control-based conspiracy narratives because mm-hmm. it gives you explanatory power, right? Mm-hmm. It actually, it, it, it sort of snaps your interior sensation of like, I feel powerless. Why do I feel powerless? Oh, right. that's why. Because right. this is all being sort of inflicted onto me. And so yeah. that, can, that can result in all sorts of unchecked yeah. and unfalsifiable narratives. And I think yeah. we as integralists want to call out sort of, you know, when is this assumption, you know, how falsifiable is it? How hard have you actually tried to falsify it? And we're seeing this, you know, these days because here we are in 80 something days from the election, um, maybe, Mm. maybe less. I'm kind of losing track and shadow, you you know, (laughs) and we are just surrounded on all sides by all sorts of disinformational propaganda shadow campaigns that are looking, that are, you know, actually deliberately trying to distort our informational terrain. Well, we should note that too, Corey, that you brought that up, that um, we've been referring mainly to individual shadow, but collective shadow, you know, shadows that tend to operate via many of us holding certain ways of knowing and being and acting in the world that sustain a particular shadow. And we've experienced a lot of that, you know, in recent years where it's just like, okay, how are we going to get a handle on this collectively, you know? Yeah. the shadow of the the shadow belief of the that if if just every individual just took care of their own little bit then somehow it would all work out versus like well we're going to figure this out together like some things we have to do together it's not like you go over here in your corner i go over in my corner and then we come back and everything's good 
You yeah. Know? You know, some yeah. things have to be worked on a lot, actually. A lot of times have to be worked on relationally. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Not just individually. And, and we need to be able to actually sort of discern because that that works in both ways because, you know, yeah. shadow moves in all sorts of directions. Yeah, There's right. Projection where we're taking yeah. some, some, you know, some sort of unmet need or just some itch that we can't scratch within ourselves and we project that out there and suddenly that's all we see. That's yeah. one kind of shadow and that requires yeah. a certain process in order to yeah. do that. Vice versa, we're also introjecting a lot of shadow yeah. that exists out there and we're making it our own. Yes, taking it on. Yes. And then you can reverse that. So there's all sorts of legitimate collective shadows that are yep. out there that we need yep. to shine a light on, that we need mm -hmm. to, um, you know, resist. I mean, this brings us back to inhabit your resistance. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of genuine spiritual resistance is like, no, I do not accept this cultural shadow and I'm going to bring it into the curative light of consciousness so that it can, this knot can sort of, you know, on tie itself eventually mm -hmm. and, and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. The problem with that, however, is how do you, how can you tell where your shadow ends mm -hmm. and that big nasty collective shadow that's out there and is pressing everyone where it begins? And that's, yeah. that is really, really, really difficult because no, it's a, well, we have this exchange thing where like I'm making some of those collective shadows mine and I'm projecting some of my shadows onto the, onto the collective and yeah, well, navigate that. This is very important to distinguish. I would add a little, one other variant to that. And that would be that like, no, we are also part, we're all of us are part of collective shadows because I would say shadows are unavoidable. So that's part of the thing is like, sometimes I don't know the, the discussion around this sort of one, it leans towards like the traumatic wounding shadows of like, that's how it's, the discussion is uh, centers around that. But there's also just, it's just how life is, you know, yeah. it's how life is just like with the body, you, you know, you wake up, you stub your toe, you have stomach ache, headaches, you know, just like shit happens. Like, so don't, don't, any idea of like, I'm going to search for the end of shadow work is ridiculous. It's part of, it's part of how we evolve. Every time we evolve, it's like exposing new shadows mm -hmm. and gaining new insight and then new shadows. It's like, we don't, you don't get insight without the other, like it happens, you know, in a lot of ways. Now we, on terms of the trauma wounding shadow, those are things that we can continually work on minimizing, like where it's like, you know, um, especially like in childhood, can we do better jobs as parents to cause less trauma and problems for, for our kids? Yes. Um, some things they'll just go with the territory, but yeah, we're also part of collective shadows. We are actively all part of them. And here, let me give an example. that's simple because again, not just simply saying like wounded shadow kind of stuff, but I'd say like right now, as we're moving into, there's, there's been so many discussions about um, moving into basically an age of pluralism, uh, an age of green meme, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is very much, every year we're moving more and more towards that's the center mm -hmm. of our of our society just flat out that's just how it is regardless of however you're feeling about that in this moment that's how it is and but then you know as people who um can both appreciate the values and insights of of green and postmodernism pluralism we can say well we see some some shadows of that Mm -hmm. uh, value system, but we're also dealing with our own shadows in the sense of like, if you think you know exactly what should be done, you're, I'm sorry, you, me, we're all full of shit because we're not going to solve it without being open to the mystery and saying like, like when I look at the world every day, I go, okay, I feel pretty strongly that my example I've been giving collectively in the shadow is like the house is on fire right now. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that's important is put out the fire. So for me personally, that's getting Trump out of office, plain mm -hmm. and simple. 
nothing else really matters until we do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then we got to say, how did that house get, get on fire? Was it the electric, electrical outlets? Was it, what happened there? There's going to be some causes. And in, in part of that, yeah, we got to figure out like, well, how do, some of that was, was on all, there's parts on all sides that led to this perfect storm of being able to have Trump be in office, mm-hmm. including me being a part of all that. Like all of us were part of it, even if though I didn't vote for him, all this shit, collectively there's shadows. And so I still don't know, like, what's the best way to approach this? You know, like if I were in charge of everything, what would I do? I don't know. I'm I, like, I have some ideas. <laughs> but I don't have an exact answer. And that I don't know means shadow too. Inevitably, right. there's going to be a shadow of like, that I just can't see it all. And, right. but I want to do the work to be able to see more and more. So that way I can have a, an appropriate, uh, effective response. So anyways, we, we listed out things of like collective shadow that exists out here that we that sort of uptake our own individual shadow that we then put out in, in the world and then collective shadows that we're part of too. So yeah. like three, three, three flavors yeah, that's great. Well, and Ryan, you also, I mean, you snuck in sort of um, what I think is a remedy of shadow, which is simple epistemic humility. I mean, the capacity to say, I, I, I don't know. Like, I wish I did know. I've got some hunches maybe, but like there is, you know, this, this, <laughs> this reality is so massively complex and I yeah. only have insight into a very particular slice of that reality and yeah, I can try to extrapolate that slice out, you know, onto everything else. But I mean, Jesus, I don't know. Well, see, and this like, this might be a weird kind of shadow allergy of integral of like towards the idea of we we figuring this this out collectively mm. versus individually. And Vince um, Vince Horner, good friend, just wrote um, some letters on the what what's the app called Letter Wiki or something like that where. It's a, it's a cool app where you have more formal conversations and like each letter is limited to like a thousand words and you, you're writing to another person who then is going to respond. So it's like a little bit more of a in-depth civil discourse that can hmm. happen. He wrote some appreciation and criticisms of rebel wisdom. And, um, and one of the points he made was about a sort of pre-trans fallacy that Vince was noticing, but between... Uh, modernism and metamodernism and that mm-hmm. sometimes people are actually promoting modernism in reaction to uh, postmodernism, mm-hmm. but they think they're coming from a metamodern or mm-hmm. integral perspective. And so I bring this up because that can be a confusion around the individuality. So the thing is, is like we don't pass through green and then somehow collective orientation is now irrelevant. No, right. it's just, we do it in a, in a more robust manner where we can, in, incorporate hierarchy mm-hmm. and and um, uh, holonic uh, you know integration those kinds of things, right? So that would be something for me. It's like when we're when I'm feeling it, we're feeling out like how am I orienting this? Am I still orienting that like it's just me? I got to do do this by myself, or through that humility, do I realize? I don't know. That's why I'm having conversations with you, Corey. Is like is like I don't know. I don't want to figure it out on my own. I think it's it's impossible to figure out the response to the world when we're dealing with such complexity, no, it's no longer sufficient to just be like every individual go do your own work. And then that's the end of the story. It's like, no, we're, we're creating the problems together and we're going to figure them out together, but it's not a flat land, you know, right. approach either. Right. That's not the flavor. Right. It's, it's both and kind of thing. Right. Yeah, no, it's an interesting kind of dynamic because what you're talking about is sort of this oscillation through development. Where Oscillation is a really good word. That, that word is like, I've, immediately gravitated towards when I read it in some modern modern 
resource. That word stuck out to me. I was like, oscillation. It seems like a capacity that, I like the word because it's a capacity tied to an insight, but it's tied to something embodied. Like how, what's my capacity to oscillate in my response to the world? To it implies a paradox. Polarity. Yeah. It implies a polarity. And whenever you invoke a polarity, you know that there are two sides of a street that you really need to be paying attention to. And yeah. that I think can inform whether or not we're having a shadow reaction. So, I mean, for example, you, I mean, you just, you just laid out a lot and there's a lot yeah, to yeah, work with there, cause <laughs> it, which, is, which is great because you're talking about, you know, we, we are experiencing this sort of um, greening of culture particularly as more and more of the world moves onto these postmodern platforms. And, you know, we've talked about this many, many times in the past. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is happening. And integral is having a reaction to that. Well, I would say integral is having a reaction and a, res and a response. Yes, both, both. Right? Both. And yeah. I, I, what you just laid out was interesting because there, there is this oscillation from when, as we go from stage to stage, it tends to bring us from more agentic kind of, you know, center of gravity to a more communal and you know we kind of go back and forth between the in spiral dynamics it's between the warm colors and the cool colors the yes. warm colors are more agentic cool colors uh -huh. are more right. uh, communal however something interesting happens i think when we pop out at teal i often do think of teal as you know teal is still sort of individualistic it's i i think of it as the self-calibration phase yeah. you know um mm which then opens us up into turquoise, which is again, much more, more collective. But when we make that transition from these first tier, I still hate that language, but from these first tier <laughs> stages to the second tier stages, one of the things that happens is we no longer are solely identifying with either an agentic kind of- Yeah, that's the point. Flourishing or yes. a communal kind of, we, we, we might, you know, we might be at teal and we can feel, okay, now this is time for my personal work and I'm going to wake up, grow up, clean up, you know, all that stuff really starts to come online. And it does tend to be, you know, what is my upper left work, but yes. then that spills out, right? Because yes. in the, at the integral sort of frequency, you're not choosing between one of two polarities. You're finding ways to integrate and harmonize those polarities because you can feel how incomplete you are without that other pole, right? Yeah. And yeah. within integral land, I think we see a bunch of things happening. I think that we see yeah. oftentimes there is just straight up an allergy to green. There is a green allergy that runs through the integral community. And I see that as an invitation for us to do some more work because if we haven't integrated that piece of ourselves, that probably means we have a couple dissociated shadow elements that are running around in the basement of our psyche that yeah. we don't like very much and so we push away and therefore we push away green itself and we have an allergic yes. reaction to it yeah. but at the on the other hand it doesn't necessarily have to be a green allergy it might just be a communal allergy mm -hmm. you might have felt the same thing when you were at amber and when you were at green yeah. and right, 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 right. you're a agentic person and you're not as comfortable in a more kind of communal thinking right so that yep. that might yep. be your allergy this is an yep. invitation i think to really kind of tease these things out within an open integral space that gives you the language to actually understand and track and yeah. see how these things are supposed to fit together uh -huh. and then you can do the introspection to say well how am i fitting these things together am yeah. i fitting these things together? yeah exactly yep yeah and actually i'm glad you brought up the point of the a communal sort of reaction regardless of the, wherever we're at in our life, you know, that just carries through. And I had that a lot, you know, I grew up very socially anxious, you know, being made fun of, picked on, you know, things like that. So it was a rough experience to like orient to the 
to a collective for me that carried out through so much of my life, you know, and that has nothing to do with like value memes, you know, that's just right. sort of, that ties a little bit more to the shadow, but I, that's also, an, I'm glad you pointed that out, you know, individual collective and how that shows up in our reaction response and shadows. And then, you know, actually we've, I think we've mentioned this before, but the whole levels and lines thing is actually very practical. And I think Vince also makes mention of this in, in uh, his letter. Um, there's some good ex explorations in there. I think that's relevant to this. So I encourage people to check it out, but um, we may be cognitively very developed where we're able to process cognitively say at a quote integral kind of level, but our other <laughs> Uh, lines of development may not be at that. Mm -hmm. This is so important. And this is like, again, as I say this, what we all have to do at this moment is get in. I use the word embodiment, not just to mean, mean the body sometimes, but like a tangible experience of this, because if you're still remaining up here, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Yep. Got it. No, right. drop out of the cognitive. You get to keep that. Like this is practice space. You're going to keep that. We're not going to say, screw the cognitive. No, like that's powerful, yep. but like feel in to, you know, your emotional development, your relational development, um, whatever it might be and feel like, well, if you're able to like take a, a breath, try to get open to the mystery here and, and get humble. How do I feel like I respond in that domain, you know, of, of life? Do I feel like I respond in a way that corresponds to what my, my cognitive insights are, or maybe not. And be mm. honest about it. If we can't be honest, this is the biggest thing I would say for in the interval realm. If you can't do this, I don't know. There's nothing else I can say. Like it's, it's a, it's a game stopper. Like we have to get beyond this point of hanging out in the cognitive realm uh, solely. We, if we're going to talk cognitive that has to serve us in all of these different uh, lines of development. And that's, I think the easiest way to point out the discrepancy. Um, but we pointed out other discrepancies like individual and collective. That's mm -hmm. one discrepancy. Um, but yeah, it's like, and it's okay. And again, I want to normalize it too. Like it's okay. This is exists. Right. That's why Kim pointed out levels and lines is because that's just true. We all have different levels and lines of our experience and the kind of strengths we've developed, our experience in life. Um, it just plays out that way. Yeah. And it didn't do anything wrong. Like no, it, just, it happens to all of us. That self-kindness is really, really important because- Super important. Shadow, I mean, let's just remind ourselves. I mean, our, our capacity to generate shadow is actually an evolutionary response. Yeah. It's a it's a coping mechanism yeah. that we use that our nervous system is able to sort of self-regulate and self-organize uh -huh. in order to make itself more, well, what it thinks is anti-fragile to the real stresses and pressures of existence, right? So we mm -hmm. form these little shortcuts, these neurological shortcuts mm -hmm. that prevent us, yeah. you know, from experiencing pain from experiencing yeah. anguish, from experiencing mental health. Yeah. It absolutely serves a function. Mm -hmm. All of these shadows, all, I mean, this was something we talked about in the Inhabit Your Wound episode, mm -hmm. is that all of these become sources of rocket fuel and meaning generation and all of that when they are actually being sort of properly metabolized by the rest of your self-system. So, I mean, the worst things that can happen to you can, can they, they don't always, right? And it's not mm -hmm. to sort of minimize how painful and traumatic it is, but those things can actually be put into the service of reducing suffering for others and yeah. for yourself. Yeah. And that, I think, is the real power of shadow work because we free ourselves 
from these limitations, yeah. which allows us to approach each other and approach this reality in a much more, well, I mean, conscious way. It's sort of an empty signifier when we're talking about this, but in a tremendously more co- conscious and, and compassionate way. And I think that, you know, the final point I want to make, Ryan, is that when it comes to this greening of culture that we're, that we're yeah. seeing all around us, if we want to find a way to keep our own anti-green allergies from sort of um, pushing all of this into a blind spot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one good sign of that is if you're, if you're looking at some of the language and some of the rhetoric coming from woke culture, which yes, mm-hmm. I completely agree is often mm-hmm. overextending itself. It's an overreach. It's, you know, all your criticisms of woke culture, I will probably agree with. And I feel an integral obligation to try to meet some of these ideas where they are, put a little bit of integral scaffolding around them and make them actually useful to people at green and teal and even turquoise altitudes. And for me, the way to do that is to not dismiss the entire woke project as a whole, but rather to say each of these points that you're bringing up around privilege, for example, or fragility or X, Y, and Z, all of these are opportunities for shadow work. As you said, the collective shadow is not separate from my shadow. We are all participating in this cultural shadow in various ways. And one of the best ways to deal with that is to just to do your own individual shadow around these issues that touch so many other people. If we Mm. can metabolize that. So that to me is where ideas of privilege become useful and valuable. It's not useful to say, hey, you have a shadow. You are privileged. That is not useful. That's a way to end a conversation. I always say, do not make other people's subjects into objects. That's very, very rude. You are not here to do shadow work for other people. Mm-hmm. You're here to be a role model to do your own shadow work and to maybe influence other people to do their own so that together we can rise above some of these unconscious yeah. patterns that we're all sort of unconsciously perpetuating. Yeah. That's yeah. the power of, I think, you know, when we actually take the woke project and, yeah. and sort of take it into our own psyche and say, okay, what is my work here? Yeah. Rather than just sort of taking a fire hose to everyone else and, you know what I mean? Trying to blast them off the street. That doesn't work. Yeah. And so another point here, I mean, this is kind of interesting that this is where we gravitated in the conversation. Cause I think that's actually really, it's really up for a probably a lot of folks right now because we're dealing with so many collective issues and we're trying to figure out how do we respond collectively and mm-hmm. we're dealing, you know, there's just, it makes sense. There's just like a lot of friction and, and a lot of intense emotions and pain and desire to blame things like that. You know, um, actually I'm going to make two notes here real quick. So I want to share a quote with you around this green meme stuff too, uh, adding on to what you said there, but I've shared this practice before. Um, a simple social meditation that um, uh, Vince Horn helped uh, pioneer in connection to Kenneth Folk. But the, the, using a phrase out loud when we meditate together like this, we could do it. You know, we use the phrase, uh, there is, this is one version of it, there is, and then whatever we're noticing our experience. So there is blaming, mm. for example. Now, at first, people want to notice there is stillness, there is whatever good shit. Right. But we can also notice, like if we can be honest, this is a way to get honest. This honesty helps. I think it helps develop a capacity to work with shadow. So the more that we can just be honest with whatever's arising without judging it, without going into a narrative, 
there's blaming, there is arrogance, there mm -hmm. is um, insight, you know, there's compassion, whatever it might be. It's such a good practice to develop honesty because again, no narrative and uh, no judging. But if we can sit quality, quietly with ourselves and honestly note like that, I think that can support all kinds of shadow work. It's not shadow work itself, but it'd be supportive of it. Now, in terms of, you know, the green meme stuff, uh, I think a lot of what you're saying was like really skillful, you know, to try to encourage people who have a strong anti-green uh, allergy. But I think there's something important there that like, if this is a spiral and if all of these levels exist within us, I better be hearing and saying, saying myself and hearing us say what is fucking awesome about the green meme. If you're not, you you either are not where you think you are or you got a massive shadow. Right. Just, like, be honest. Like, if you're going to describe developmental evolution and maturing, separate from this conversation, it certainly would include that. No form of, of, of sincere developmental work or kin's work says, nah, this, this whole level sucks and we, we even just <laughs> bypass it. So the, 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 the more that I don't hear praise and what is genuinely good, like where we say, I'm so glad we have that, then I get more suspicious. If it's only negative stuff, it doesn't mean necessarily that there is massive bypassing or shadow or maybe even not the maturing there. But we got it. So it's like, that was what's what I would challenge everybody to. It's like, what can you genuinely in your heart, in your gut and body say that is so good and so glad that we've evolved to ha have the, the, these green insights and responses. And then now tell me about where it's going astray, you right. know, because so often that's, that's how I can discern like in comments I've seen across different conversations you had right here. Sometimes I see like genuine com comments where people are like embracing and saying, yeah, and we got some work to do here. And then others that are just like, you know, right. like it's like, Oh, okay. And that's part of why Vince wrote these letters. And, you know, like one quote he had in the said, um, I believe as people whose voices are amplified by the mics we put in front of us, we have a moral obligation to recognize the compounded pain of racism. That is a universal experience for minorities in uh, white dominated societies. Now that's kind of a phrase that has some words in there. That's going to trigger probably yep. like anti-green. But the fact is, is like, that's just a reality. It's just a reality. It's just, that's how it is. Like, there's just no way around it. If you study very clearly race in America, the African-American black experience, it's just, it's super compounded. It's super intense that it's carried forth. And so many of these experiences are not that far in the past. So there's gotta be some part of us that say, yeah, let's, let's fucking help that to be a better experience for African-Americans. There's just no way around it. And I share many of the criticisms. Like when I talk about earlier, the, the fire in the house and how it mm -hmm. got there, like the, the um, authoritarianism and arrogance that has arisen in, in woke culture sometimes, I think destroyed structures that gave way for a, a rise of like Trump, like right. of, of, of hating uh, the mythic membership. Yep. Like, I think that's true. I think like there, there is like sometimes a loss of, of a path of redemption for people to say like, like, you can have a shadow, but you can't ever, you, you, you suck. And I, I'm going to put you into some sort of prison, you know, like, I think these are genuine criticisms that I share, you know? Yep. But anyways, I want to say that. Cause I'm just like, what are we feeling here? Because you got to like, there's gotta be something we value of what we're from the past, but also tying to what, what are the shadows, you know? Right. Yes. And I, I think if we're also, if we're talking about sort of our 
political identities, which yeah. has become just completely foregrounded over the last five years. I mean, we are, we are, I mean, we lead with our political identity, I think more so than any time in my lifetime. And yeah, this very divisive. feels like a new, you know, I mean, I was reflecting on this again in our last episode, Inhabit Your Ground, because when you are inhabiting your ground, you can see a little bit more clearly just how much things have changed. And that is definitely one of the things right. that has changed yes. around us in the last five years. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm part of that too. I have a more active political identity, um, not so much because of Trump, but more because of my experiences, you know, with my daughter's health and yeah. and all that stuff, all that animates yeah. my political identity. Yes. And I, so I just want to say, if we're talking about political identities, I mean, these allergies obviously cut in both directions. There are plenty yeah, of sure. integralists who also have anti-amber allergies and you see this in sort of the progressive wing of 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 integralists and i had my own anti i mean i remember when i first started doing the ken show with ken yeah i would frame the conversation as like ken we need to go here but we're seeing this like pull back down to nationalism and this is clearly a problem and how do we get out of this problem and you know, it was through successive yeah. conversations with Ken and just doing more research and listening to other integralists who had different opinions about this. And my, my opinion about this kind of changed a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, I can see the aspects of nationalism, of a healthy nationalism that were sitting in my blind spot because I assumed that all nationalism was unhealthy nationalism. Yeah. Because, hey, the 20th century taught us some pretty intense lessons about what nationalism yeah. can do and where it can lead us. Um, yeah. So I was able to kind of face those allergies and say, okay, now I've got a different position where I can see if we want a more progressive society, we need to shore up with our sense of nationalism. It's the only way we can build on that, that sort of solid yeah, yeah. base. I, um, so I, sure. I was open to having my mind changed, which yeah. I think is simply, that's kind of the key here, right? Yeah. Because if you're, if you're basing your views and your, again, your informational terrain on falsifiable data, that means you're going to follow it wherever it takes you. And you're going to have enough epistemic humility to say, you know, maybe I haven't been quite framing this the right way. Maybe I have my own yeah. assumptions that I need to kind of take well, a look at. That, that's another tool I think too, is like, okay, so maybe in this moment it might be hard because obviously shadows are called shadows for a reason. So like it's mm -hmm. harder to get at them right in the present moment, but that's the work. But if we could look in the past and remember the times where these shadows played out and then we had the insight that can also cultivate humility. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like for me, I thought something that helps keep me grounded through all this is just like realizing some big shadows around, for example, um, like when Obama was elected, I was super happy about that. It was such, uh, in that time period, it was really great. Now we have retrospective people like, you know, um, assess his presidency backwards, but it's like at the time I was like, great. And I was just, I was happy when I was seeing like, various conservative groups just shit in their pants i was just like yeah you know good like fuck you you know mm -hmm. that i had a big feeling of that and part of that was like felt valid but then i realized i was like oh shit like that attitude was part of the arrogance i was part of it you know mm -hmm. i was part of the arrogance it wasn't even like a, a woke culture kind of thing it was just more of like fuck you you know you know air a bigoted people you know? and, and like and, and for like having power to influence you know so much and now you don't have it good you know there's a part of me that would like want to kick them while they're down like I felt that in myself mm -hmm. and, and I realized that later I'm like I have to feel that some part of that was a blind spot for the progressive culture 
which maybe we think that we're like we're in the we're in the promised land and eight years of obama we, we can only go up from here and then we, little do we realize for progressives anyways not only do we go backwards like this is like a nightmare you know so but i'm like that's a shout so i remember that i go even as strong opinions as i can have i go you remember that time ryan when you were <laughs> like that it's like nope another example is like um with social media it's it it, it really valid to criticize the shit out of like Facebook, especially, especially Facebook, but all the social media platforms for the power they hold, the influence they have on things like elections and how, what they do with data. It's like out of control in my opinion. And that's a whole nother conversation. But I, I always think too, before getting too uppity about things, I joined Facebook happy. Didn't ask a question. Yep. Didn't ask a question. I was just like, yeah, just give me everything. Give me all the goodies and stuff. And then, yeah, later I realized, and sure, they have responsibility as a company and all that. But I have a responsibility. I didn't bother questioning. That was a shadow of values at the time, you know, mm -hmm. right? It was more of a value shadow, not a emotional shadow. It was just sort of like, how could this be bad? Right. You know, how could capitalism with a never-ending growth focus be bad? Right. Look at all the free stuff I'm getting. Why should I question it? That was my interaction. So, like, these are just a couple examples of like times I remember, you know, okay. And to keep me humble that like, what am I not seeing now where five years from now, I'll be like, Oh man, my responses. I may look back at this episode five years from now, hopefully a little wiser <laughs> and realize, Oh shit. Yeah. I was missing the picture. Yeah. I think, I think Facebook is like um, a stockpile of shadow. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and it just accumulates it and accumulates until it turns into like the sort of explosion we just saw last yeah. week. I mean, it's there's there's yep. and, you know, I perpetuate that shadow. I am constantly talking about how much I hate Facebook and usually I make those comments on Facebook. Yeah, no, I know. That's that's why you know? I don't actually like I'm saying it right now, but you don't you won't see me too often say that like on Facebook because I already the irony is already just ridiculous for me and i don't i don't have to criticize them like that's fine that you do it but it is funny you you can see the humor in it a little bit that everybody's like fuck facebook now i'm gonna check some more posts right <laughs> like, well, the, it's like the, the contradictions do you know of everything like what are they doing in chinese factories for the iphones let me check out my iphone right that's horrible <laughs> that's, that's, that's let me terrible. text Corey. did you see that Corey? yeah it's really bad yeah <laughs> yeah there's still a shadow. i mean whatever it's like we we have shadows yep Yes, we do. Well, and that's another thing that, that, that's sort of interesting to me, Ryan, is how shadow shows up in different communities, right? So we can talk yeah. about how shadow shows up in political communities, maybe leftist communities versus more conservative communities, and da da da, da. We can talk about generically integral communities. One of the things I think is interesting is how shadow really seems to so quickly fuck up spiritual communities. Like, mm -hmm. there are so few spiritual communities that have actually wrapped their hearts around the importance of a cleaning up practice. And yeah. as such, I think in my experience, just anecdotally, it yeah. leaves them tremendously vulnerable to getting hijacked Very by much. other people's shadows. And yes. maybe that comes from the fact that these spiritual communities are often populated by people who already have a bit of a, you know, arm's length relationship with what we'll call consensus reality, yeah. right? They already think they see something much deeper than the matrix. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that, you know, and that comes with sort of a specialness that can have mm -hmm. that kind of mm -hmm. perfume of arrogance to it. 
that again, just makes us think that we're above it all. And therefore what we see is what is right. Mm -hmm. And I think nine times out of 10, we see these shadow issues coming up at, you know, to complete surprise of no one except for the people in those communities. And it blows up and there's some big snafu and then somehow spirituality itself takes a hit in the culture and becomes less reliable and less. Yeah. Yeah. This is, there's a funny, there's a funny image I'm going to show real, real quick. And this was shared, uh, we had a guest last month, uh, Marshall, and he shared this in uh, one of our groups, which I just think is hilarious. Uh, let me find it. Where'd you go? Man, I have too many tabs open. Holy crap. <laughs> you got a tab shadow. Hey, I do have a tab shadow. <laughs> Jesus. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that is that is that's, what has happened to just every well, that, uh, yeah that's i mean that's especially representative of spiritual bypassing for sure yep and uh which is tied to the trauma and seeking some sort of relief from trauma but yeah so like this is another good example of uh, with spiritual communities of the various types of work that needs to be done in order to resolve that problem it's very easy to point to like individual work. That's obvious. So, you know, like the teachers that are part of it doing their shadow work, things like that. Yeah. Also, you know, grown adults participating in spirituality. It, it, this is part, maybe some of the differences of like how maybe a green meme might approach it versus like an integral approach. And I always use these words lightly. I don't want to get overly attached to them, but you know, um, yeah, just blaming, blaming teachers, you know, versus seeing our participatory nature in, as adults, you know, participating in spirituality of what happens. Mm-hmm. And I want to give one, one example. I'm going to name this person because we've already named him. Like Vince has already challenged him to a Dharma combat in the past. Uh, Bentino Massaro. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like I, from the very beginning, like it was like 2015 that someone pointed him out. And I just, the whiff I got, I was like, I don't know. I didn't have any objective reason to, to dislike him or what was going on, but I just didn't, I, I don't know if something felt funny. And then later I saw more and more posts like directly his words, not even an inference. It was just like, like eye popping. Some of the things he was saying where I was just like, Ooh, this is going to be ugly later. And it became more and more obvious. And then Vince challenged him to a Dharma combat on Facebook. But anyways, um, there was a whole piece written research piece written, um, about like some of the really crazy shit that's happened in the community. It's a documentary waiting to happen, period. Like it's going to happen and yet didn't affect anything. Like the community still, he has more Facebook followers than he did in the past. And like these reports were serious enough to like give pause, you know, right. to like, I mean, it should give at least pause. And so this is an interesting dynamic, like who's doing the shadow work. It can't be all Bentino. It's just like the community, like, what are you doing? You see the thing you like, it was a big deal. He shared everything. And it was like, you know, everybody getting up in arms about like the accusations and all that kind of stuff, but it's just like, okay, whatever. But anyways, that's an example for me of like, go, go look at it yourself. You can come to your conclusions. Maybe some people who really like him on there, but sorry, I think it's craziness. It is a yeah. documentary we will be watching in five, 10 years for sure. It's a documentary we've already seen. And no, I know, I know, I know. We already seen, which is surprising. This is what's surprising to me. It's like, so he's younger, like he's, I think early thirties, maybe something like that. So like, I was surprised because I'm like, we've already, we've already seen this documentary. Like, how is it happening? How's it happening? Surely they have access to the internet, mm. this young millennial community. Uh, but anyways, but you know, the, 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 there's more to it. There's a lot of complexity there of how you facilitate a, a 
healthy spiritual community that does things differently. And, you know, we're, we're trying a lot of our Buddhist Sikhs to do things differently. Like we're using holacracy, which has radically changes how the organization is structured. And, and some of the things we're doing inside of that, for example, is like an effort to separate in a certain sense, like teaching administration and Sangha. We're all, every, all, all these three have their own empowerment and functioning because what's happened in the past, right? Typically you have teacher guru who controls everything, right? They're doing mm -hmm. administration thing. They're deciding what happens in the Sangha. So this is like that distribution right. of power, right? Which, you know, what, what value system is that, you know, representative of, you know, kind of greenish, right? Yep. But it has intelligence because it doesn't, it, there is hierarchy in holacracy. And I don't know that there's too much to explain of it, but like, you know, a circle and other circles can be connected up and down and there is a lead link. There is mm -hmm. a representative link. There are every role is empowered all on their own. They do not have to have consensus. Right. There's enfoldment there's, there's, mechanisms. Built yes. There's, the there's individuality. There's collectiveness. There's all these mechanisms. So without these structures, these collective ex, ex structures, how can you solve that kind of shadow in a spiritual community? I don't think it's right. possible. Well, so this is why, like earlier when we're talking, like we have to look at so many shadows in an integral way, tangibly, you know, so there's a lot to say on that. That's a whole great topic. Maybe we could do it. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I think we should probably do a show, maybe inhabit your power because uh, I, yeah, you know, because I, I actually think you, you kind of nailed something there, Ryan, as you often do in these conversations. Well, I'm, I'm just um, taking, taking your alley-oops. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think one of the issues that we're seeing here is that there is a spiritual shadow around power itself. Very Spirituality much. is often presented as being sort of, anti-power in a certain kind of sense but pro inner power i mean there it, the semantics of power are a fucking mess in most spiritual communities and i think what that does is you know oftentimes when we think about abuses of power we yeah. think of like the red altitude right because people have somehow regressed power has gone to their heads and so they are conducting themselves like a fucking narcissistic sociopath yeah. and right. imposing onto everyone else and, and and all that but really power goes all the way up and down the entire developmental spectrum yeah. there is a red power there is an amber power there's an orange and a green and a teal and a turquoise power right mm -hmm. and we're not exactly clear i think as to what those different kind of power bases actually look like how to actually exercise them yeah. in a responsible and healthy way and what ends up happening is if all of power ends up sitting in our in our shadow we downsample our own embodiment of power mm -hmm. and then before long we are a spiritual guru who's trying to talk all turquoise bullshit <laughs> but you're coming from this red unconscious power yeah. drive that makes you yeah. dominate yourself over other people and again, this is not a new story in integral circles, which is why it's so important that we have these kinds of conversations ongoingly in yeah, order yeah. to create sort of that immune response whenever someone comes into a community like ours with um, intentions that don't exactly line up with our highest, deepest selves. I mean, we've seen this. Yeah. There's a handful of people who've come through, have, have you know, established trusting relationships with people in the community and then have completely just yep. embarrassed themselves and yep. embarrassed the rest of the community. And it's, it's a painful experience when we go through it. And I'm just grateful that 
um, you know, that, that here at Integral Life, we've tried to create a bit of a barrier with that. And we've been lucky because I think Ken, as sort of a, you know, the larger than life personality mm-hmm. that he is, the guy has shadows and he'll talk about shadows. And I've had mm-hmm. public conversations with him about shadow. I've had private mm-hmm. conversations with him about mm-hmm. his shadows and my own. He's got mm-hmm. them, right? Mm-hmm. He's got them. But he doesn't have any like dead hookers in the closet. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, we, we've, we've had some people come through the community that had some yep. dead hookers in their closet. Yeah. And it unfortunately... Yep. you know, affects people's perception of the community as a whole. So we here oh, yeah, for sure. to create a, a more, yeah, uh, a more, I guess, um, responsive well, to this stuff. Well, in the sense of like how I mentioned what the, the ongoing exploration efforts of Buddhist geeks of like, how do we create a community that can be resilient, that can be responsive and not fall uh, prey to like some of the other things that, you know, you mentioned and like, what are you, integral life i think that's happened a little bit because there is the community right and like so integral back in you know the real hate is you know, integral when integral life first happened it was like really the kin show it was it was so, a, it was a fiefdom yeah 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 and um and so all that focus was was on kin that the whole community was focused on kin um but now like kin is obviously still a towering figure and you have lots of conversations with them but there's a sense of like but the community's over here and kin is not influencing i mean he's not like controlling he's not running pulling the levers you know inside of integral life like it's operating on its own you have a community and there's yep. a relationship though so like there is breathing room and separation yes which, and still maintaining you know his brilliance and, and wisdom to in the community ryan the only reason it's structured this way is because ken was eventually able to recognize his own Ah. limitations and the shadows that those limitations was generating. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. Ken yeah. came to the realization, I am not a good organizational leader. I'm just <laughs> okay. not, this is not why I was yeah. put on this planet. So I'm going to yeah. hire someone who can do that bit for me. Yeah. And by the way, create a company that has, that is intimately involved with Ken, but is distant enough so that, you know, for example, when, if yeah. something, if, if, if one of Ken's friends yeah. goes yeah. you know kind of nuts so yeah. we yeah. have enough sort of buffer space to be like okay yeah. can't just say you know we're not working with this guy anymore there you go you yeah. know what i mean great that's and awesome that's, that's, hey that's up to you guys i fully yeah. you know and he's he's always been very supportive when we've had to draw yeah. those kinds of lines and he's helped us enforce those lines um that's cool so that's, that's great you know it's 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 valuable and so that's one of the things i'm most grateful for in terms of this space yeah there's a lot of shadows here but like it's also a wide open space for us individually and collectively yeah to connect with each other and to do our own work in real time with each other right yeah i've been blessed i've been i've been able to hop on a show with ken every month and with keith witt every i mean for those who haven't tuned in my show with Keith Witt is basically free therapy for Corey every mm-hmm. month. And I'm going to take all you guys along for <laughs> the ride. Awesome. You, you know what I mean? This space allows us, it invites us, it encourages us to do our work with each other and to make the fruits of that work known. And I am astonished by, you know, I call Facebook a shadow factory. Corey is also a shadow factory. We're all shadow you know? factories, yeah. And I've, and I've come into this with all sorts of, of shadows, golden shadows, yeah. as well as sort of trauma shadows. And uh-huh. oftentimes I'm dealing with those kind of simultaneously. I just talked to Ken about this in our show where I was like, you know, Ken, if you look at the first few episodes that you and I did together, 
I am just white knuckled an anxious mess because <laughs> a I'm, I'm dealing with not only my own imposter syndrome, yeah. right? Which I've doing these shows has helped me. We can talk about that in a little bit in terms of how doing these shows actually yeah. is a shadow practice. Yeah. But I'm, I'm dealing with that sort of impo- Like I don't belong here. I shouldn't be in a seat across from Ken Wilber while also dealing with a golden shadow of like, I'm just going to project all of my best qualities onto this dude. Uh-huh. Right. And remove yeah. them from myself. And, and Jesus, where does that leave me? Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. Left to, yep. to navigate in there. Yeah, you know, and the I'm glad we kind of again came around to talking about how the structures we create in our organizations, communities can help facilitate the shadow work like by itself almost or prevent it or yeah, so like you know how you were talking about how integral life is structured, you know, uh, that's an example Buddhist geeks, you know, and if you are thinking of like spiritual communities like one we just implemented a new policy. By the way, you you can see Buddhist geeks whole uh holacracy online. It's available. it's transparent. You can see our entire organization, all the roles, all of our policies, all everything is on Class Frog. Um mm-hmm. I don't know what the exact URL is, but meta.buddhistgeeks.org. You can go there and just see what we're doing. And we have meetings every week, it's evolving. But we implemented a policy recently um where uh, a student cannot work, cannot be formally engaged with one teacher in more than two engagements at a time. So like if you're doing a private sessions with me and a training with me, you can't do a third thing with me. Like, like if there's a third training I'm leading, you can't also do that with me. You have to go work with another teacher. Oh, interesting. To prevent the golden shadow kind of thing. So yeah. it doesn't happen very often. And even two engagements ongoing with the teachers, that's pretty good. But like, that's one way. So it's like a structure. So it's like, that's, preventative in a lot of ways where it's just like it's a lot harder for that to happen uh and guru dynamics to evolve if you have a structure in place that says it's you can have a dedicated relationship and there's gonna be a limit so like you know to try to prevent it so dude that's fascinating it's fast because i i I, i've come across very very few sort of lower right quadrant interventions Mm -hmm. that can actually make a difference and help reduce you know, yeah, it and actually shadows generate it. It's nice. Like, I think it makes a lot of everybody relax a little more by like knowing what, the, what these structures are. Right. So like students seeing this, cause it's all transparent can say like, Oh wow, they are really thinking about this. And they will, they, as teachers, they don't want that to happen as, as a teacher, I can go, I can relax a little bit because I know that it's just going to be a lot harder for that to just unfold like a golden shadow guru thing is going to be harder to unfold. And I can relax and just focus on teaching. The other thing we do is like co-teaching, like retreats are co-taught. It's not just one teacher teaching it and being the show. Um, our trainings are, are, are co-taught, even though like I have the same two groups every week, there, there are three of us teaching and we meet every week, you know? So there's these things of like leveraging the collective, right. Yeah. But maintaining, uh, you know, empowerment, authority, autonomy, things like this. Yeah. So, well, it's crazy to me. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's just, um, it's crazy to me how beneficial the work is and how immediate, how immediately you can start to feel the benefits of that work. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, when I, when I started doing these shows, um, it was, that was, that, that was one of the most challenging things I've ever like consciously thrown myself into. Right. Yeah. This is like, wow, this, this seat is way too big for me. I, j- I don't have the skills for this and everyone's going to see that and call me out and I'm a fraud and you know, that, that, there it is. So there's yeah. my imposter syndrome right from the very beginning. Yeah. Right. And you know, I, I actually talked to Ken about this, about sort of um, 
again, just, just, you know, like how technically doing this show, these shows have become shadow practice for me because, you know, what I, what I was able to do is I, I told Ken, I was like, you know, I was able to identify that a lot of my shadows come from a, a, a broken line of development. My intrapersonal line of development, which is the mm. line that determines how you relate to yourself, how you see mm. yourself, mm. got somehow twisted, distorted, knocked off course or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for as long as, I don't know, probably since I was 14 years old or so, I have felt a sense of what I've come to describe as intrapersonal dysmorphia, mm. right? There's mm. some, you know, it's kind of like yeah. when an anorexic person looks in the mirror and they don't actually see what they look like. They mm. somehow warp that yeah, right. to, you know, a, a different self-concept. That's kind of what it felt like in terms of my relationship with my own interiors. Mm -hmm. And that didn't become apparent to me until I started doing these shows. And the reason was I would do a show, I would have an experience, I would walk into it just full of anxiety, and I'd walk out with a set of memories from that show. And all of those memories were just these little micro traumas. You yeah, know I, I, mean? I, I, I know 100%. Like, <laughs> I remember, okay, I said that yeah. thing, and then Ken just said this yeah. back such an idiot or I try I to make a joke and I it just know. felt, you know, and I'm such a fucking, why am I such a fucking idiot? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. I know it. And then I would do the editing process and uh -huh. I would watch myself. Right. And I'd watch yeah. myself kind of like a fucking raving narcissist because I was like, watch, watch, this is where I fuck up. Right. Yeah. And I'd watch it and I'd watch it replay. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, like maybe, maybe there was like a little blip of awkwardness, but that was more like coming from my own hesitation than it yeah. was anything in the chemistry between me and Ken or anything like that. And I'd realize after having that experience over and over again, I'd say, wow, there's something, there's, there's something in me that is causing me to remember these things differently than yeah. how they actually occurred. Yep. And by yep. just... Yeah exposing myself to that over and over again, that was kind of, I was, I finally was able to learn how to kind of trust myself. And mm -hmm. then sure enough, four or five, six episodes in with Ken, I'm cracking jokes with him and I feel yeah. you know, far more comfortable yeah. than, than I have. And, and I've That's gotten awesome. the same thing doing these shows with you, Ryan, because, yeah. you know, in these shows, these, this is a different kind of show for me where, you know, I've talked about this before, where yeah. it's like, I can just kind of be myself. Yeah, you know what I mean, I can just like here's just sort of what I'm feeling right now, and blah, blah. I'm not here to put a spotlight on Ryan. We're here to put a spotlight on each other and to have yeah. a relationship and, yeah. and to share that with everybody. Right, it's a different approach and it's beneficial. And every time I do one of these shows, that sense of like yes. I'm an imposter who shouldn't be here. Yep, just a little. Yeah, surprise. that's so. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Corey, because I, I think it illustrates that this work we it's better to not treat it as this like all or nothing thing. Right. right. So I think somebody asked in the in the comments of like, I don't know, does it like these shadows ever uh, like I'm talking about dissolving shadows, like, you know, maybe in dissolving shadows forever, but like, no, like it's better to approach it as a patient process in that over time things change. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at a certain point in time, we may realize, oh, you know, what? I, don't, I don't really struggle with that anymore, but I still think they're like, are, like our dispositions, you know, there's, even the faintest lingering of it. Like now I, I have like basically all my uh, Dharma talks from the response and meditation training I did earlier this year. We're in the middle of another one. And I never, I recorded them all, but I haven't uploaded any of them. And I've uploaded other talks, but there's just, that is that part of me, the same part that goes, 
I don't want to go back and listen to myself. And if I had a talk where I was like, oh, I think I did that well, then I would just upload and do it. But if it's less than like the, this is really, I think this is pretty good. Then I'm kind of like, oh, I don't want to listen to it. And I want to hear how I sound and all this stuff. It's not, it's not strong. Like if, if you told me, Ryan, no, go do this today. I'll do it. Right. Be, it'd be fine. But I still have that. It still lingers there, you know, yeah. like where I'm just like, oh, you know, and even with us doing the show, like from the beginning to now, I feel different. I feel even more comfortable popping on and having conversations like this, knowing that there are people listening and, and that people will respond now or later. It's a process. It's a process, you know, and it's a process of dealing with shadows, but also developing strengths at the same time. And I think, you know, I wanted to make a reference, you know, uh, that you and I are similar in certain ways, you know, and uh, there's, a, I think, a student of Vince who came up uh, with a way of describing how practitioners will assess their own contemplative experience, you know, meditation and insight, rounder uppers and rounder downers. Hmm. So there's rounder uppers who are a little overestimating their experience uh, habitually, um, or maybe being overconfident or overly proud or whatever. And then rounder downers who are uh, us, you, me, uh, like that are constantly like downgrading Mm-hmm. wherever we're at our capacities, you know, and that's just like a process. Like I'll, I'll probably always be a rounder downer in general rounder downer. It doesn't mean that sometimes we can't be arrogant and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. But like usually rounder downer and it's just decreased over time, but I'm always rounded down. I'm always rounding myself down right. and unconsciously just, but it's like less than it was when I was like terrified, social, socially anxious, 20 year old, for example. Right. Know? Yeah, well, and also we're both Enneagram fours, which means that um, we have a very particular set of shadows that are very special. And in fact, probably a little bit more special than other people's shadows. Yeah. So we can be a little precious about it. And I'm, 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 I'm joking. That's just <laughs> yeah. a very four thing to say. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Before I see we have some comments rolling through here. I don't know if there's. Yeah, any- well, and one thing I wanted to, uh, we, we had a, actually a pre-show kind of question I wanted to bring up here, um, yeah. which sort of alluded to, which was the question, um, when does shadow work end? Like, when do I know I've done enough of it? I've got my shadows. I see them all. Everything is in front of my face now. That's, that's often how I like to think about shadows. There's nothing back here that you can't see. It's all sort of in front of me. And, uh-huh. you know, my question or my answer to that question, when is shadow work over, is like, when do you ever feel like you're fully educated? When do you feel like you're fully, re- like it never ends you don't stop meditating you don't stop learning you don't stop growing you don't stop doing shadow work you don't stop cleaning up in fact you do it so much that in a way you do stop because you're not necessarily like i'm going to sit down and do a shadow practice right now it's just kind of humming along in the background of your consciousness whenever something emotionally provocative happens to come up and part of that is simply as you say these things don't necessarily go away right? I mean, once you have done your three to one process and you're working with your shadow and you've reclaimed it, like there's still residue and it's still going to affect you. You've just gotten better at being able to sort of rise up to it and respond to it and not let it sabotage you. So A, there's the, you know, the shadows that you're aware of aren't necessarily going to go away. You're just going to get, you're going to be able to manage them better. B, there's a whole other subset of shadows that are the really nasty ones because they're the ones you're not aware of. They're the shadows that you've been dealing with your entire life, but you, they haven't come up you know, above the surface enough for you to notice. And maybe five years from now, you're going to have some experience where you're like, 
wow, holy crap, that's been sitting in my shadow. I have yeah. a really stupid story to share. Can I, can I, can I share yeah. a stupid, a stupid yeah. shadow story? When, I, <laughs> when Angie hears this, she'll make fun of me. But you know, when I was, yeah. um, when I was uh, 16 years old, I was, I was really into music. Like this is, you know, as we all were, right? This is like from 14 yeah. to 16, I'm defining my tastes and I'm, I'm really into music. One of the bands I really loved, this, is, this sounds so silly just talking about, it. one of the bands I really loved was, uh, was Guns N' Roses right and i um i was into guns and roses in like 1990 91 and this is when this whole musical changing of the guard happened where nirvana came out released nevermind and you know for our age this was like right in the set like we're building identities right as culture massively changes all around us and one whole set of music got just suddenly overnight exchange for a whole other set our tastes changed overnight suddenly we were all embarrassed about the things we were listening to just a year ago, right? It was yeah. really weird and really sudden. In fact, I don't think music culture has had such a sort of violent swing ever yeah. since. I mean, even right. after Napster, I mean, you know, anyway, yeah. um, that happened. And I, uh, I, I, I stopped listening to Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses was actually the first concert I ever went to. It was Guns N' Roses, yeah. Metallica, yeah. and Faith wow. No More. And Faith wow. No More is still like my favorite band. Hell of a show. Yeah. So anyway, all that happened, I stopped listening the Guns N' Roses, and I just didn't think about them. Axl Rose kind of became a joke. He, he was sort of yeah. a punchline in culture and, you know, yeah. and so forth. Time goes by. A lot of time goes by. And now I'm 42 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking through my music collection. I'm like, I want something to listen to. I want something new, just something to, to scratch an itch. I don't even know what that itch is. I just want something new. And I'm scrolling through my music. And I'm like, oh, there's this Guns N' Roses album that was released 12 years ago, Chinese Democracy. And that album itself was a punchline. And I remember when it came out and it, it sat in my shadows. Like I am, not only am I not interested in this, I'm disinterested in this because there's a part of me that's even embarrassed. I like this stuff to begin with. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind of thing happened. Yeah. And something clicked in my head just a few weeks ago. I was like, I'm going to listen to this album. I'm just going to listen to it. So I did. I put it on and I fucking loved it. Like, and it brought so much back and it brought, and one of the things, the shadow that showed up for me was I have spent all the 20 years of my life, not giving myself permission to like something, to like a band, because there's a part of me, a part of my developmental sort of, you know, whatever you want to call emergence that got stuck Mm. and it got stuck at this place where like, I'm embarrassed for my tastes because I'm more concerned about what other people think of me uh, yeah, rather yeah. than I am about staying true to like what yeah. I like and yeah. what I like. And this just like clicked into relief. And I was uh. like, what else in my life uh. have I been missing? Because I didn't give myself permission because I'm stuck into this little yeah. narrow, there's, there's this narrow part yeah. of my identity still uh, that doesn't cool. allow myself. And yeah. it's, it's fucking weird. Oh, Axl Rose. Oh <laughs> yeah, man. I support that. Gave me this like powerful. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is I followed that shadow with another shadow. My first experience, my first sort of reaction wasn't to get like sad about everything I missed. My first reaction was to get like super concerned about Axl Rose and his mental health. And like, what, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you know, awesome. I, I moved into this like, again, I'm kind of off-putting this, you know, it's yeah. not mine, it's not mine. I'm, I'm worried about him, not me. But it's the stupidest things. If you're doing your shadow work in an ongoing way, the stupidest things can give you the most dramatic insights. Yeah, and then that's such a great example. Reorganizing because of this little thing. That's such that's such a great example, Corey. I mean, it shows like the curiosity, the 
organic nature sometimes of this kind of work where you never know and staying open like you did be like i want to check this out who knows what's gonna be behind, uh, mm-hmm. waiting behind the door i love it that's awesome yeah and uh you know to that your question you know of when is it done i say pretty much the same thing but um also say like when we're talking about the sh- the wounds kind of thing uh type of flavor of a shadow yeah over a lifetime it's possible i think to get emptied out of fairly emptied out of those things that maybe happened in childhood maybe you know if doing the right work but here's the other thing with that though because we're living beings in a world connected to what's happening it's very likely that something's going to happen in our lives in the world that can provoke a new wound mm-hmm. a, a new shadow so for example we just saw the explosion in beirut yeah how does that not affect people i mean certainly the people who, who live there, but the rest of the world, the things we're living through right now politically, it's going to evoke even new shadows. We're not even talking about triggering old ones, but like, so this process on that end continues. But then also, again, talking about developmental shadows, that that's a part that goes with the gift of maturing and, and evolving that like life is interesting. Like, right. that, like if no shadows, you don't get the other bits. Right. You know, you know, so like, it's also a way to, life is creative and mysterious. So it's like I'll rather not have shadows, but it goes with the territory, you know? Yeah. One other thing I want to make a comment towards though, the, um, that uh, saw some here in the comments about, you know, the whole ego thing and dissolving and, and uh, shadows part of ego. I think there's a very important point here to make though, that like, and I'll just use like simple, quick terms, but um, you know, if we're gunning for the absolute, you know, the ultimate, some sort of transcendent experience. Yes, we can transcend the sense. We can be identified with something bigger than, than our small sense of self. But our sense of self does not go away. It is there. And so that's a big mistake that we can make is thinking that the ego is going to go away. Transcending your ego does not mean there, there is no ego. There just means that temporarily you're in a state of experience. You are maybe in a state of non-duality. You're in a state of the absolute, whatever state you're in but you will come back rubber band to the ego that you have, including all of the stuff that goes along with it. And unless you're going to try to maintain causes and conditions, which doesn't sound like transcendence to me, <laughs> you're going to maintain causes and conditions in an environment such that it doesn't have to trigger your, your, um, your sense of self and your shadows, you know, you're going to encounter them. So like, that's be like, I'm going to be on permanent retreat and create an environment where I don't have to deal with my shadows. Yeah. But no, no. Th- so this is a little bit of an error. Uh, to to think that if we transcend, that's the spiritual bypassing, basically. That's right, that's right, and I and I think that's one of the things I'm very grateful to you know Ken's work for giving us just better language to understand these things. Because you're right, shadow does not go away. No longer how long you sit on a meditation cushion. Yep. That is not the right methodology to get at this stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why growing up, waking up, cleaning up. Those are three different trajectories of the self, and you can't reduce any of them to the others. So if you spend an entire lifetime pushing on your interior growth, right? And you're not doing any state work, you're not doing any shadow work. There's nothing in that growth process that is going to naturally bring in that stuff. Now, in fact, you're going to start to hit a ceiling in your growth because of the the unintegrated shadow and the unfamiliarity you have with these states, because it is true that the higher we go, the more integrated this stuff comes, but mm. it, it's not a fruit of the growing up. It's, mm. it's a fruit of growing up alongside cleaning up yeah. 
and waking up. And, you know, the metaphors I often use, and I'll just repeat it here in case it's useful to people, is that it's three different kind of visual metaphors that I use. Growing up is the process of making your ego bigger and bigger, right? A person at a turquoise altitude has a great big, much bigger than your ego, I promise. I'm not saying you're not turquoise, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Ken Wilber has one of the biggest egos you'll ever meet. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. I mean, the guy has a fucking personality. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, he's he's got a big self. But he's done the work in his waking up to make that great big self that gets bigger and bigger as we climb the ladder more and more transparent. So that's what waking up does. It takes this opaque Mm. ego and makes it transparent so you can see through it so that you can see the absolute behind it radiating through it, right? Mm. And then you Mm. slowly begin to identify as much with that as you do with this great big ego. And then the cleaning up is about getting as much of this from behind your face where you can't see it to in front of your face where you don't necessarily squash all these shadows, but you can at least see them. You can track them. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, there are, there are Zen Buddhists who were at the Amber altitude who were deep, deep racists, right? They had racial shadows because this stuff doesn't present itself on the cushion. Sit on a cushion for a lifetime. You're not necessarily going to grow up and you're not necessarily going to see your own shadows. No, so you, ha- you, you really have to treat these as like three different facets are, of the self. They are different. Yeah. You can, and there, I think we're finding more and more about how they can um, support each other. 100%. I think that's been thing being involved. But yeah, like you said, like transparency, like we're not in a classic awakening, you know, we're, we're, we're concerned of looking through everything of, of, of seeing through all, everything we identify with, you know, so we're not concerned with how it works mm-hmm. per se in as much as it helps us to let go of the identification with it. So like, how does mine, what it's mine, what are, what are thoughts, what are emotions, what are physical sensations, all this stuff. Yeah. But I want to see through it. So that way I can mm-hmm. access bigger space and transparency, but it's not dealing with any of the content at all. So that's right. always the classic thing of content experience, experience itself. Um, but, uh, and you made the good points that like, well, the content doesn't go away of our experience, but you know, there's examples of um, how like psychology has evolved in um, integrating mindfulness practices to, to leverage some of this capacity to let go of the content of experience to practice acceptance of what's going on. So that way, maybe there's a possibility of working with it, changing it, you know what I mean? So there's supportive they're interlinked, but we got to make, make like clear like you just did. Well, the common way. thread running between all three of those, I think, practices is yeah. that all, and that's why I like this visual metaphor of an ego that's like getting bigger, more transparent, and more in front of your face. I like that metaphor because it's three different ways of thinking about this whole subject becomes object, which is sort of, you know, the mechanism for each of these. But it's a mechanism that kind of moves in different, takes you in different directions, right? So when we're growing up, you, the, your previous self, your previous, like I can remember when I was amber. I can remember when I was orange. I still have access to memories of views that yeah. I had when I had that and right. how I thought about the world and how I yeah. organized reality. Right. I, I can't step back into those views but I have a memory of those views, which is kind of what nostalgia comes from, is your memory of a view you used to have that you can't have anymore because you've changed. Yeah. Um, so we still have access. So that previous subject becomes an object to us. And now we're embedded in a new subject that eventually becomes object to us when we 
go to the next stage. This is also true in waking up. Waking up is a constant process of making subject into object. Neddy, 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 until you just like find yourself with no more ground to stand on because there's, there is no ground. And that is the ground. I mean, that's sort of the, the yeah. central paradox tying it all together. But you yeah. get there through this continuous sort of kaleidoscopic process of making subject object. And then the same thing with cleaning up. You're, you're making subject object, especially these hidden aspects of your subject. Mm-hmm. You're wanting them. You're seeing them in third person, mm-hmm. second person and then inhabiting your shadow in first person. So it's mm. a similar mechanism, which is why I think it can get confusing for folks like, like I think that commenter may, might be yep. a little bit confusing. The reason why it feels like it's all sort of the same thing is because it's using the same mechanism, but it's using them in very, yeah, different, very different ways. ways. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Nice, well. I guess well, one final question I have, Ryan, um, yeah. as we close up is, because yeah. uh, I think this is a challenge that people often find themselves in. I was just here a week or two ago. Hmm. What do you do? Well, first let me premise this by saying, again, I want to remind people, I always think it's rude to make objects out of other people's subjects. Hmm. I always think it's rude to say things like, oh, you're so green or, oh, you've clearly got a shadow or so forth, right? It's just hmm. not, a, not, not a way to build skillful enfoldment. It pushes people away from each other. The question is, Nonetheless, knowing, yeah. <laughs> knowing that sometimes I'm reacting to an asshole and I do my three to one process and I reclaim all of that. And at the end of the day, I'm still looking at an asshole, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> just cause I'm not reacting, you're still an asshole, yeah. right? Yeah. What do we do when we are clearly standing in someone else's shadow? When we know it's not effective to say, Hey, I'm standing in your shadow. What's our best approach for that? Well, it's a big question. I think it depends on a lot of factors, to be honest. I'm not sure there's like a really single answer because, for example, take your context, you're a community leader, right? And if that's happening inside of a community forum, you might respond differently than, say, for me, having that same kind of experience. Mm Mm-hmm just some random personal experience. So context matters, right? Yep. Your role matters. What hat you're wearing, yep. Yeah, what hat you're wearing. That's a big time because it's going to change quite a lot maybe about how you'll, you'll interact with it. Um, for example, in a community where there are different communities will have different standards and in rules and things like that. So that may dictate what happens regardless of how we feel, for example. Um, but then, I mean, I think one, you just said like something that's really probably always useful is like being able to check in with ourselves of what's going on for me, you know, um, of just getting in touch with our experience in various ways, whether it's like a practice of like uh, noting, like I mentioned earlier, just there is anger, there is shame or there is whatever, you know, and being able to note that or trying to just differentiate how, what am I putting out versus like, what's, what do I think is really coming from the other person, right? And then, but it's really interesting from that point on, I get context matters. Like, is it somebody who I feel like as a peer, you know, mm-hmm. and that's going to change things versus like, is it somebody who I'm working with or a student that's different? Mm-hmm. Is it somebody on Facebook who I don't really know, you know? And then there's some genuineness about the the spiral of like, you know, am I talking to somebody who really expresses a lot continually, a lot of kind of green values or woke values and that, you know, we're using the woke culture kind of thing. It's like, well, how do I want to engage with that in that certain situation there? 
you know, there's all these contexts. So like, it's hard for me to give like a universal response there, except to check in yeah. with a lot of things we've said without making it overly complicated. Like again, we can't be all in the cognitive there. Like that's, that's useful. That helps us give the framework, but if that's a part of us, it'll be there. You know, it's like, okay, well now what do I want to do? What's meaningful? Is it meaningful for me to engage with this person? Or is it meaningful for me to be like, not worth my time? Right. Like that's happens a lot for me. Just like where I have to question it, like on social media, I'm like, is it worth my time to engage with this person? I don't even know this person or barely know this person. We just became friends randomly one time. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know them. Is my time and energy better spent having a conversation with you? Corey, you know, I don't know. It gets tricky when um, it rubs against, I was talking to you about this pre-show, you know, it can get tricky because you can get drawn into responding yeah. because of another shadow. So like one of my shadows, uh-huh. I, did, I, I really want to be liked. Yeah. <laughs> Please like me, God. you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. I, so much of my personality is like based around this like almost pathological need to be liked by like everybody. You know what I mean? And so when somebody doesn't, and, and the flip side of that, by the way, is I hold a grudge like a motherfucker. I mean, yeah. I will hold a grudge for 20. If you did something to me 20 years ago, you said something rude or, you know, embarrassed me or what have you, I am still holding on to that. I am st- <laughs> I'm still thinking about that regularly. And this yeah. is my process. I'm trying to loosen that knot, you know what I mean? And sort of let yeah. that uncoil in my heart. But sometimes that gets provoked. Oh, someone just wrote something about me. I'm not liked. I am now drawn in here. But that then gets moderated by, you know, all sorts of other factors, some of which can be shadows, some of which can't. You know, you mentioned what hat are we wearing? Yeah. As like integral life guy, I'm wearing a particular hat that forces me into like, I need to be diplomatic at all times. And on the one hand, that's a good thing. It's sort of like a nice little super ego that I put on top of myself, just like be responsible here, be clean, right? Yeah. But it can also be like, you know, sometimes I need to be like not so clean and I need to just kind of get something out. And where's my you know, place to do that? Yeah. So for me, the only universal answer I've come to this when you're clearly standing in someone else's shadow and you don't know how to get out from under it yep. is to demonstrate your own capacity to do shadow work in that moment. Right. Yeah. yeah that's always great. Yeah. And then let the readers decide. You know what I mean? Like yeah. actually like, okay, here's what this is provoking <clears throat> for me. Here's how I'm kind of looking at this and da, 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 and here's, you know, and just kind of spell it out. And then hopefully the people with the eyes to see are able to say, okay, well, here's someone who's doing their work. Here's yeah. someone who seems to be just kind of vomiting all over the place while right. my mind is kind of made up. And I think this is particularly important to circle back. The people who are super concerned about things like collective shadows if you want to prove your capacity to even see a collective shadow and discern it from your own, right? To reclaim your own projections and look at yeah. that clearly, then you need to do your own shadow work publicly and skillfully, you know, yeah. don't let yourself, don't give out data. that's going to get you doxxed and all, you know, all that yeah, shit, yeah. but just show a capacity to like, no, I am asking myself these questions. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can identify how these issues are, you know, why they trigger me. Here's why it triggers me. And I still think it's important and I'm going to push through it and so forth. Yeah. Um, That's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that's something we can do always of like showing, like, how do we relate to our own shadows, you know, and into our experience. And that can be shared just in general by like how we carry ourselves. So like, Corey, you know, I mean, you're on so many different shows and in the community, people are going to know very much how you carry yourself and know that like you're willing to do that 
And so you just demonstrate yourself as that kind of person, regardless of a specific situation. Um, so that's great. So that's, you're demonstrating it. Like for anybody who wants to gauge with you in conversation, they should be pretty aware unless they're just brand new to the community today and just pop in the forum and start talking at you. They should have some sense of like what you're willing to do around your own work. Right. I do think it's important again, you know, when you talk about skillfully or assessing the situation, cause I've seen, for example, with events, um, and, and you know, I don't know how he's got like 9,000 followers on Twitter. He's got a voice out there and he's engaged with people in different communities where they didn't reciprocate. And a matter of fact, he was kind of bullied uh, sometimes when he was trying to show up and, and having conversations in a similar way that you were trying to say of like, here's the kind of conversation we have, but not being met, you know, and that can be very, you know, harming to ourselves to continue engaging that. And again, it depends on the context again. So like, you know, if you're, if you're you in your situation, your community leader in a contained community, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know, the decisions are going to be different. I don't know what I would do personally, but you know, I just, I've seen different examples where like, I know now events, like he's got a, a pretty big line out there where like, it's not a walled in community. Like there's not a de- or defined community, but you know, he's a voice and people are mm-hmm. looking to him. But if, if people aren't going to reciprocate, uh, these are just not going to engage period, because it's too much of a drain. For example, the letter I mentioned earlier that he wrote uh, to the uh, founder Rebel Wisdom, he, the Rebel Wisdom guy is responding. He responded a couple letters, but Vince really told me that he wants it to go to a, a conversation like this. So if it goes to that, they'll have that. But if it doesn't, he's not going to do it. He's not going to write anymore. Because for him, his value is like, I want to have an embodied conversation, not just intellectual and disconnected online. That's just an example here. I kind of identify with that personally. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And so for me personally, I'm not in, in the role that you you are, Corey, and and I don't have the, the audience that Vince has. So most times I'm not choosing to engage with much online. Right. Because it just I'm just like, no. It sounds like, like it's serious. Yeah, well, it is a little bit, I guess. I mean, I, I'm tempted. I'm tempted a lot. But like, I'm just like, why, you know, what's going to come out of it? You know, like, like, first of all, is a person going to be reciprocal, you know? And if I know them like you, we just have a conversation. Let's just talk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For me, it's a little different. I feel like, um, no, it's very different. You ever go to a, a dog race? They're, they're terrible. They're it's so unethical. But when I was a kid, yeah. my parents used to take me to dog no. races and they would, you know, they would chase that face, that fake rabbit. Yeah. 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 I feel an obligation to like be the rabbit. Yeah, no, you have a you have an important role. Yeah, you have to take on you have to intentionally take on a lot more than the average person would being the community leader, a hundred percent. So you have a different challenge that I don't envy a lot of times. <laughs> well, it's weird because it requires me to simultaneously be a little bit more than myself and a little bit less than myself. Yeah, I, at the same I time, which is which yeah, is an interesting sense. interesting challenge. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, this has been. Um, <laughs> Yeah. As always, such an incredibly rich show. Um, yeah, hey, good, good thing, given, we, given that we didn't know what we were going to talk about. I know, last ago. night Ryan's like, hey, what are we talking <laughs> about tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm, I'm glad it came up. It, yeah, there's there was a lot of relevant, at first I was like, well, I don't know. It seemed like, I felt like we talked about that a lot before somehow or another, but actually I felt it come up. There's a lot that we talked about that felt really relevant for me of well, things I'm sitting with myself too. The thing I'm noticing, Ryan, is how a lot of the themes we've been establishing over like the last year of doing these shows are really dovetailing with each other right now. Yeah. And all kind of stand separate. You know, you and I were joking the other day. We were looking at the Inhabit page. And it's like, if you, even if you just look at like 
the pictures going all the way up the page. Like there's a story being told there. Yeah, right, you know, right. And I think it's up to you and I to kind of figure out what that meta. Kind yeah, of and I'm, I'm, uh, I, as always, welcome the listeners to let us know what you'd like us to explore. You know, we're always trying to, I know Corey especially is keeping the finger on the pulse of the community of like, what's up, you know, so we're talking about relevant relevant issues and explorations, but yeah, I've always loved to hear from listeners what you you all be interested in. Yeah. Well, and I'm gratified. I just read uh, Barb's comment on YouTube. She says, uh, I'm appreciating the honest sharing on shadows. I'm inspired to be more honest about mine. That's um, honestly probably the best feedback I could have gotten. Yeah, that's lovely. I saw that too. Thanks, Barb. Yeah. That's great. And I'm hoping that this conversation does exactly that. It just helps people, um, you know, just, just, slow down a little bit when this stuff is emerging for them. Maybe if you're on a YouTube channel and you're watching Ken talk about integrating shadow and you start typing in some comments, making fun of his wig, maybe there'll be an opportunity to pause and be like, Hey, am I playing with my own shadow? material?" Yes. Right. right. Just as an example. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Just, just an example. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, what I hope it does is it helps us to be kinder to each other, particularly yeah. online, yep. kinder to ourselves, more patient with ourselves and with each other, knowing that, again, these shadows are a natural part of our incarnation. In fact, they're a positive part of our incarnation. They are co- simply coping mechanisms. And now you need to find some better coping mechanisms to deal with the limitations from your previous coping mechanisms. And that higher, better coping mechanism is doing shadow work. Because once you do that, it takes us back to inhabit your wound. Then these traumas, these golden shadows, these pieces of yourself can come online and can actually inform in a really, really positive way how you lead your life, how you conduct yourself with others, and how you go about relieving suffering for other people so that they don't need to experience the same kind of traumas that you did. This all becomes rocket fuel if we're willing to do the work, if we're willing to have just a little bit of kindness and patience for ourselves and for each other, and if we're willing to share the fruits of all of this with each other so that we can all get drunk on wine together. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this has, been, this has been just a fascinating show. Yeah, thanks for that. Good, great summary, Corey. Been uh, wonderful as always to chat with you. And thanks for all the listeners uh, participating here and and commenting. Yeah, absolutely. And Ryan, we will uh, connect again next month, man. Yeah, see you and everybody else next month. Yeah, buddy. Great. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.